Hey, welcome to the 181st episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Colin Levy and Josh Castleman. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Jeanette McCurdy on. You may know her from her acting career as a star of iCarly and Sam and Cat, but she's become a director since you last saw her. So we sit down and talk to her about all of the things that she learned as a young child actor, kind of at the top of her game, and what appeals to her about directing and why she decided to make this big pivot. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, as we're talking to these actors turned directors, they've been like, she's been on hundreds of episodes of TV as well. And just coming in as a new director, you have just like a totally different background than your average director. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's logged so many hours in front of the camera. It's really interesting to hear what she has to say and how that's informed her approach behind the camera. Yeah. She also asked us a lot of questions, which is kind of refreshing. (laughs) But the question she asked us off the mic after she left, I thought was one of the most interesting ones, which was which of your past work is like most proud of you're most proud of. Yeah. And it's like just such a hard question to answer for me, at least, because it's like you're being put on the spot to be like, oh, go watch this thing of mine. And for a lot of us, like you and me, like some of the stuff we're most proud of is kind of older because that's the time when we were really like making our own stuff or things that we were really driving from from scratch. You know, my passion project is the the second Toyota spot in that series (laughs) of four. Yeah, I mean... It could be that that's yeah. the goal, right? Is that like everything is the passion project? Yeah. Well, cool. Well, before we talk to Jeanette, let's catch up a little bit. You had a big pitch yesterday. I did have a big pitch. Listeners of the show will remember that I sold something kind of a while ago now. Is that a futon? I think I saw yeah, it on Craigslist. Yeah, it was an old mattress, but you know, I propped it up so it looked like a couch too. Uh, no, I, I sold a series kind of a while ago. And, and when just, you say sold, do you get money? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I got money. So basically, I optioned it with this company so that they had the exclusive right to sell that show to networks, basically. And so I worked with them to put together, you know, a package and kind of refine the script and all that stuff. And we finally went and pitched it to a television network yesterday. And it's a really interesting, fascinating sort of thing. You know, I've pitched plenty of things. And, I, you know, I think by the time you get to pitching a network you've talked about the show ad nauseum, right? Like you have to sell your team on it first and then you have to, you know, sell a a company on it. And like, then you have to tell, you have to tell the story of the show so many times that by the time you're actually in front of a network, you know, it's pretty well hardwired. Do you find that it's hard to be excited about it? No, no, not at all. Yeah. That's the easiest part. I was so excited. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that they're, that, uh, nervous and excited are bedfellows. And I found myself feeling maybe more nervous than I've felt in a long time because most of the time when I'm pitching something, the stakes are a little lower, but like it had been a little bit since I'd been to a TV network. And this is a show that I really care about. And there, the show is specific enough that there were fewer places to take it than normal. So like their stakes are higher basically. Right. But what's interesting to me about it, and it really struck me on the drive home, because I, you know, I did the whole thing, right? Like I practiced it a bunch of times with uh, with my team and, you know, with the, the people that bought it. And, you know, I meditated beforehand and I visualized and I really, you know, I 
like I wrote like a really strong outline for all of the things that I was going to say and really, you know, put a, all of the effort that one needs to really nail it into the pitch. But how much time did you spend looking in a mirror, like deep into your soul? <laughs> I mean, I did, I did meditate though, genuinely, you know, like, so I did the slightly more practical version of the TV version of you psyching yourself up. Like I, I went there, you know, I was like, I'm going to commit to this. This is, I'm, I'm going to take the day. I'm really going to dig in and, and do an awesome job because I feel like the times where I've really gotten myself in the right headspace to execute, I do. Right. And so, and then one last dumb question. Yeah. Did you play like I have the tiger or anything before you? I did play music. Yeah. I did play music before you went in. For before the I went in. Yeah, for sure. Are you familiar with power poses? Um, there was a Ted talk on them, right? Yeah, probably. I, uh, not enough to have gone there, but I would have. Do you know what I right. mean? Like I was in, the, I was like, I'm going to have an open mind. I'm just going to like do what it takes to be ready. And I reread the script the morning of and was like pre- pleasantly reminded by how much I like it. And this how is proud the pilot of, script the, the pilot show script, you were yeah. pitching. Yeah. And that I was proud of it, you know? And so it was like a nice reinforcement of like, oh, I can do this. And then I went in and, you know, pitched my heart out. And I think I did a pretty darn good job. How many tears were there at the end of the pitch? None, but I got plenty of laughs and it was kind of a tougher room. And, you know, at the end they said, hey, well pitched. You know, everyone was smiling. They had good, thoughtful questions. All of which is to say that I'm not bragging about the performance that I did. My point is that I did everything right and I still may not sell this show. Yeah. Like I, I dotted every I and crossed every T and like, you know, on the drive home, I was like, there's that letdown. Right. Cause it is a performance, you know, you're talking nonstop for 20, 30 minutes and then answering questions. And, you know, then there's like the, there's the wrap up where like, you know, your team kind of huddles up and they talk about, okay, well, next steps will be this and we'll follow up the next day and, you know, we'll hear back in two or three weeks or whatever it is. Right. And I'm just driving home and I'm like, well, that's that. And maybe they already bought all the shows they're going to buy this season. Or maybe like somebody doesn't like it. Well, at the very least, you know that at least like 10 people or so were excited to hear you talk about your show. So, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, there is an audience that has <laughs> come to your show. Hopefully it goes beyond those 10 people. Sure, sure. Yeah. It's so interesting, though, to kind of like be faced with that. And I think that people talk about gatekeepers all the time and we talk about it on the show a little bit as well. And every single person that I have had the privilege of talking to about the show has been really supportive and really open and and interested and curious, you know? And so everyone that I've met is like a fan of making things and it's still an uphill battle. And so um, we talk about it a little bit with Jeanette uh, in the episode, but I think it's, it's put me in a funny headspace where I'm like just really kind of coming back, circling back to the just shoot it mentality. Well, my thing that always like spooks me is that if you pitch your show and it's a great pitch and they like the show and then someone else pitches like has a pitch that's like 10% worse, Mm -hmm. but they have an actor, you know, a famous TV actor attached. Yeah, totally. Then like why? Why would they pick mine? Yeah. Yeah. Like you have to be so much better than any show that has any attachments. And if there's an attachment, chances are they're not that bad, you know? Yeah. That it's, yeah. that that's to me like the stressful part about TV. And so when the, I mean, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it for the sake of our listeners. Uh, when do you hear back? Two to three weeks is, is what my team said. 
but that's based purely off of their experience with this network. Oh, okay. So that's not like they're not informed with the fact that like, oh, well, they have their Friday meetings or whatever, or their Monday meetings, and they'll probably circulate it and then, you know, circle back up a week or two after, which is, I think, the rhythm of those places. Like, I didn't pitch the entire team. So they'll that team member will say, hey, you know, uh, this is the show that I heard. I think X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You all should read it. Pitch. Yeah. So uh, that's where I'm at right now. It's interesting. It's exciting. It's very complicated emotionally, I will tell you what. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about something that you're also involved in mm. and that we touch on in the uh, ep- in this episode, but we are both jurors for the ha- hell... Hell's Half Mile? Hell's Half Mile Film Festival in Michigan. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. It's my first time. No, it's my second time being a jury member, but I've only been a juror for shorts before. And now we're jurying everything. Yeah. You're so much further ahead than I am. I haven't watched anything. Which is anything. shocking to me because yeah. I'm the one with a three-year-old kid and, yeah, you know, the wife that doesn't want to watch independent films yeah. with me. How have you been watching them? Well, all the shorts I watched on my computer, I think the average length was like 15 minutes and there was five of them. So I watched them all. And then there's eight feature films, which which I didn't know like how this works. I guess like a film festival will nominate the programmers who've watched every movie that was submitted. Yeah, the, they'll narrow it down. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess they probably watched all the selections at least that are going to play the festival. Yeah. And then they nominate movies for best movie, best actor, best actors, like all those things. And then they have the jury watch those movies. So... Of the eight movies, I think I've watched four so far, and I we get these private screener links for them, and I just play them on my laptop and airplay them to my TV. So I've been watching them on like my in my living room on my TV. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's yeah, a great way and to say it. it's been yeah, been great. I watched a movie of one of our previous guests. I um, know which movie. Yeah, and it was it was fun seeing it on the screen, and yeah, it, it's just like. It just reminded me about indie film because I have not really watched a lot of independent films lately. Did you feel inspired? Yeah. <laughs> both <laughs> both inspired and also like discouraged by like from Because a, you you wouldn't watch them if you didn't. It's I And mean, that's not a that's not a right, not about, a slight on the films. Yeah, but, yeah. It's just like that viewing habits have shifted. Yeah, well, even even the way I'm choosing which movie to watch, I'm like, well, this one's 110 minutes. This one's 75 minutes. I'm going to watch 75 minute one. I got the easy ones first. Yeah. And then also, like, is there anyone I've heard of in this movie now? Or like kind of hurt? Like, I don't know. I I just find myself just as like someone that is ultimately going to watch all these movies, like even before I watch them, like looking at who made them and looking at how they're made and what their length are and. And then once you watch the movie, you're like, oh, that must have taken so long to make, you know, <laughs> and it's just so much work and it's interesting, but, but I'm really enjoying it actually. And, uh, I can't wait to hear what everyone else, what's cool about being on a jury is everyone's going to watch the movies and then we'll discuss yeah. what we think about them and what who, we, will we discuss that? I or think, do we, just I think vote? we vote, but then we are allowed to have special jury nominations, which oh. I think we will discuss, like we'll kind of like, you can say like, well, I think this movie should, you know, there isn't a nomination for it, but it should get a special. Should we nominate best previous podcast guest? No, that's a pet joke. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, 
but yeah, and the shorts, what I like about the shorts is like they're all over, like one like looks like it could have cost like, you know, $200,000 and one looks like it could have cost $2. And I actually think the $2 one might be my favorite short. Mm. Anyway, uh, I'm excited. Hell's Half Mile Film Festival. Yeah, it's uh, in Bay City, Michigan, September 26th through the 29th in 2019. If you see the the winners, we are part of selecting them. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, we're still trying to figure out if we can make it out there. The offer's on the table. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And I guess the one last thing I want to say about the movies is um, I'm just like really looking for the thing in the movies that goes beyond like my expectations. You know, I, I don't know if it's like, like if it could just be a performance is really good or like the scope or like some, the visuals. I, I don't know. So that's like, I guess what is exciting me about seeing these movies is trying to find the parts that impress me. Yeah. Cause some, you know, excited by. they're indie films. So they're kind of all very different and very much their own thing. Cool. Well, it's a uh, good to catch up Orin. It's been a minute. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for chatting. Yeah, of course, man. Cool. So right before we talk to Jeanette, we are going to tell you about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. You can support our podcast. Give us a couple bucks a month if you'd like. If you like what you hear, if you feel like it's useful to you, if you give us 10 bucks a month, even if for only one month, we will send you a free just shoot it podcast hat. We are looking at the hats right now. We are sending out two to previous patrons. We can't wait for them to send us a selfie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With them wearing it. So one of the things the Patreon helps us pay for is uh, our live events. And we're having another one on October 20th. It's going to be our Halloween episode. We're going to have a panel of genre film directors, uh, probably like horror film directors. Yeah. I'm but gonna it might tr- be thrillers. I'm going to try to get some mysteries and, and sci-fi in there as well. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully we can diversify a little bit. We'll see. Yeah. We're doing it at the same place we did our last live event. Rita House. At Rita House, which uh, we're super excited about, about going back there. And the last one was such a success that we are doing it again. So stay tuned. We uh, are going to tweet. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram. We're everywhere. We're on social media. We'll tell people about the event. And you should come because you will win Hell's Half Mile <laughs> Jury Award if you come. I'm just, <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. No, but if you are a patron, uh, you will get into that event for free. And this time around, I think we're going to try and release a few tickets early that are for patrons only but either way if you're a patron then you get into the event for free if not it costs a little bit of money so like you can just become a patron at the one dollar level and save yourself a little cash have some pizza and beer on us okay without any further delays here is Jeanette McCurdy so you're part three of our actor slash director guests. Oh, how fun. Yeah, Who were the first two? Well, we have Audrey Moore. Okay. She actually has a podcast called Audrey Helps Actors that is very popular. Fun. And then we had Ben Giroux. Yeah. Got and, it. And he does a lot of voice him. acting. Yeah, a ton of voice acting. He's been kind of moving over to the writing, directing stuff for yeah. a while. Yeah. I feel like it's a it's a big trend sure. well, with actors. Well, wh- why do you think that is? I think that as an actor, there's a definite lack of control and there there can be a sense of a lack of creativity if I mean it depends on who your director is and who your producers are and who the creative team is but uh, you don't really have much say in really anything 
And I think that can be pretty soul-sucking. It was for me, at least. You know, I'm sure there are actors who have phenomenal experiences and, and love everything they've done and love the creative teams they've worked with. But if you don't have, if you don't feel like you have any creative investment in what you're doing, then I feel like it can be pretty yeah. uh, negative. And do you think that might come partially from the fact that you were like a young actor? For sure. Oh, for sure. I think that there's less trust there. I think there's less uh, collaboration. I think you're asked your opinion less. Um, and I, yeah, I had experiences with so many directors where I'd think, I feel like I know what they're wanting, but I don't like that. I don't like what they want. And I, sometimes I'd even be unclear of what their vision was and I'd feel that maybe they were unclear of it, uh, themselves. So it was just kind of this, this feeling that I had since I was very young, it was like, oh, I I really want to, I would prefer to be behind the camera. I'd prefer to have more of a stake in things, more of a sense of investment and, and feel more creative. Because you played the same character on like a hundred over a hundred episodes, right? Yeah. Of TV. Yeah, uh, over a hundred episodes of one show, and then there was a spinoff for my character, and I did forty more episodes for this other show. So it was in total like almost one hundred and sixty episodes of television as one character. And so there wasn't your like twenty episodes in. You weren't in a place where you could be like, well, I don't think Sam would do that. I would maybe I would say this instead. Our producer was very, very hands on and very, I mean, known kind of you know, I'm totally cool saying this because it's out there, but he's just very strict and very much knows what he wants and he has a vision and it's going to be that vision, which is actually how I think the best work gets made. I think a a lot of people put an emphasis on there being this happy, creative, collaborative environment. And I think a singular vision is probably more important. So I think in the end, he, he got what he wanted and he made, you know, good work for what it was. But as an actor, it's a little bit crippling. Remind us just, uh, how old are you when you're kind of in this in the trenches on everything like how old were you when when you were feeling this way especially 13 to uh 21 was the 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 time on the show and that is a long time yeah and And by 14 was when formative years yeah yeah yeah, for sure it was when it started becoming kind of really like oh i don't want to do this anymore you're like one year in (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and then it took you seven years to stop yes there there were many contracts involved and you're on a a moving train at that point right exactly exactly it would feel like oh this is crazy to not want to be the star of a huge yeah. TV show, yeah. right? Yeah, and I th- honestly, there was a lot of like guilt and shame that came along with that because I knew, well, first off, I started acting because my mom wanted to be an actress, so she was like, oh, yeah, I'll have you follow my dreams, kid. Um, so I did that, and and I, I knew from very early on that I wanted to go behind the scenes, but then when I was getting all this work as an actor, to, to say, oh, I don't love what I'm doing feels so much like a slap in the face to everybody who's working so hard at it, and it, and it, I think just brought on this such a complex layer of like guilt and shame that to get to the point where I even was able to admit that I didn't want to do it anymore I was it was probably 20 at that point wow yeah yeah and you're also I mean you're on one show for so long it's like yeah and imagine it's kind of like a family and like it's I, and yeah and your colleagues have been it's not like you're doing a different movie every week it's like you're with the same people right for years right and also in a sitcom environment so I'm sure it's a totally different experience if you're doing films and you're you know trying all these different characters and it's more of that circus life of like meeting a new crew every three months or whatever but uh when it's the same thing over and over and over it's it's wild and were you guys uh in front of a live studio audience no never Never. Yeah, never. But it's multicam, right? Multicam, but just per our producer's request, it was there was no never an audience, um, and I think that would have helped. I think that would have lent some energy and some newness every week. But um, 
but also we were able to do our takes so many more times than we would have been able to if we'd had a live audience, so it had its benefits. Right. And so I guess I'm curious on a multicam show like that, where there is no audience and you're, you're just kind of turning out a lot of episodes, how much of your performance and blocking and all that stuff is coming from the director versus the producer? I'm going to say 100% was coming from our producer because we'd work with our directors for three days, but for our rehearsal days, but then by the shoot day, everything would be sort of disregarded. And we, I mean, it got to the point where we were wondering, like, why are we even doing these rehearsal days? Sure. Everything's changing by the time we get to our shoot day. And, DGA and, requirements. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, so what does the director do on a show like yours? Um, get well, a credit and a paycheck? Yeah, yeah. I just kind of point. And um, I, think, I think our directors tried their best to kind of infuse some of their own takes and perspective on things. But um, also, you know, given the content of what it was, how much what can there be but could they like pitch jokes like like maybe you do a double take over here what if you like (laughs) trip on the step and look like is any of that stuff happening yeah what if you walk around the kitchen island in a really conspiratorial way and then you yeah they would they would definitely try but it just it was just all disregarded truth be told yeah and is it i mean i mean that's television right yeah yeah that's it well especially that type of television yes like then you i think like you talk about like the breaking bads or whatever the even I don't, I don't know. Have you done Modern Family? No. Mm-mm. But I imagine the directors do a little more in that just because there's like the zoom. Like the camera is like a big character on a right. comedy like totally, that. Totally, totally, totally. I want to back up just a tiny bit yeah. and talk. Just can you give us the quick like cliff notes of your career? Because I think like Orin and I are both sort of of yeah. the age where we don't totally know those shows. <laughs> yeah. You know it, what I mean? Where it would be concerning if you did. It'd yeah. be weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I I worked at Disney when iCarly was on, so I, oh, okay. I was very aware, but I was kind of in this very side What did division. you do at Disney? I directed, like, they had a digital, they had this uh, department called Dimji, Digital okay. Interactive Media Group, and we did, like, web series for teen, tween girls, pretty much. Oh, wow. Like, high school shows and stuff. But so... But but brands like iCarly sure, or like sure. Hannah Montana, they were like kind of the untouchable things. They were like, just don't even right. get close to this because yeah, we were a little edgier it. and yeah, a little yeah. Yeah, 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 we, yeah, more yeah. like on the free form ABC family side of things. Oh, okay, cool. But we but very aware of like iCarly. What? Yeah, 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 yeah sure. And it wasn't it was, was Fred crazy. on iCarly? Fred, yeah. The Fred the YouTuber? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Oh, he, I didn't know that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah. kind of, was one of his, I, he that was like one of the first like, famous YouTubers that kind of made a transition to TV. Yeah. Um, Then he did a a couple movies for them and everything. Um, Basically, my, I started acting when I was six. Mom wanted to be in acting. She put me in acting. Um, I did a lot of the like crying guest star roles (laughs) on procedural dramas. I'm going to miss my dad so much. Yeah, exactly. There's like definitely abuse involved or some sort of kidnapping or just like some very traumatic event. And did you know... Dr. House. (laughs) Have you ever had to direct a kid to cry? (laughs) Have either of you? Yeah, I have actually. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you... Do you tell them like what's going on or you just just like kind of tell them you're going to take their candy away? The time I did it was not successful (laughs) and I was like, I just want you to hide your face. I was like, like... like hide your face like like bury yourself yeah 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 is what i ended up so it was like he was covering his eyes he was like putting his eyes and under his like arms yeah. stuff like that like was it a very kind of yeah was it a yeah. dramatic cry or a comedic no cry? it was a comedic cry yeah, oh, okay yeah um and i think because of my experiences as a child actor doing those crying scenes i was uh, just brutally honest with the girl about like what the context of the scene was and what i wanted from her and and she was, was also, she? she was 11 and insanely 
mature but not precocious, which I found very refreshing and kind of unexpected in the child acting world, but she was amazing. Um, and I don't think she needed even one bit of direction. I think she, she totally understood what it was on her own. Wait, then, I, actually, I want to know, what would you say yeah. to a kid to make them cry, having done it so many times? Well, I think it depends on, I think it depends on the kid and being respectful of their mindset. But like with her, for example, I could just be totally honest about what it was, but maybe I'd withhold a little bit more if it were, if it were somebody who, who seemed a little more naive. And I'd say something vulnerable from my life. I would try to connect with them. I'd take them into a side room and, uh, yeah, open up. I feel like that is always connecting with the actors, I think, the most important thing. Like you tell them about the time your dog died or something. Yeah, yeah. And then how it made you feel and you ask them, like, how something like that would make them feel, that type of thing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe a little less therapy (laughs) angles, but, like, something in that wheelhouse. I just feel like the, I feel like connecting to an actor is so important I think I think the worst experience as an actor is when you feel like things are happening around you that you don't know you're like everybody's making all these decisions I'm being physically touched constantly by every department head sure and I don't know what's going on that can be alarming you know um so yeah just just opening up it's funny because I feel like there's some actors turned directors that are less good with actors um, really because they are because they've been through the ringer They've been through yeah. the ringer and they're also like like realizing all of a sudden how many things that they need to worry about today that they're not going to take time, <laughs> like 15 minutes aside to like talk about, you know. Feelings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you're an actor. You do your job. I'll do my job. That's interesting. Almost like oh, kind of less respect or something maybe as it's like, oh, now I see how many other things yeah. are important and priorities. Maybe. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It's like they've been hazed already. So they're like. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And they're the maybe pro. more like commercial yeah. actors turned directors because oh, you know in commercials it's like I, I don't know if you've auditioned for commercials before but a lot of times the actors do not get the script until they get to the audition you know really yeah right yeah, it's, it's, it's really a different weird world it's, they just yeah. show up and then they see what they're supposed to do like, yeah well usually it's like <gasps> two lines <laughs> yeah. yeah wow that's I so bizarre for that. Um, sorry, Jeanette, you were, oh, you were no. telling us your, your life story. Uh, yes, I was <laughs> telling you about my sobbing child actor roles. Um, so I played all these sad kids, and then I got this audition for a show called Zoe 101. It was a kid's show. It was on Nickelodeon, and I had to kiss a boy. I didn't want to do it because I was uh, raised Mormon and was not down to kiss a boy. And then my mom was like, you should just go on the audition. You're not going to have to kiss a boy unless you get the part. So I go in on that audition. I get it. And then the producer of that was a producer of iCarly, and he actually wrote the part on iCarly for me. So I got to go straight to network, which was hugely um stress relief and then I, I did that role did that show for uh, six seasons and then got a spinoff from that show did that for one very long extended season and then I did a I acted in a Netflix series for two seasons after that Wait, um, what was the Netflix series it's series? called between it was like a teen soap oh, cool. drama um, zombie apocalypse type thing wait I, so have you did you have to audition for any of these or just basically Zoe 101 was your last audition Zoe 101 was a well, I, I didn't have to audition for any of those series, um, but I did audition for things in the interim between Zoe 101 and the show that lasted a long time, iCarly. You know, I did a bunch of 
testing for on shows and just a lot, a lot of tough breaks in between um but so then it was great that somebody who said because I feel like you go through that all the time as an actor where people are like I'm gonna write this thing for you. you're a great kid or whatever but then he actually did follow through which I you know I thought was very nice um so then I did this Netflix show and then I got the call that the Netflix show was canceled and I had been thinking for a long time of how much I wanted to write and direct but the opportunity never was really there I didn't I genuinely just didn't have the time to to kind of pursue it and I thought well I kind of rethought my whole life kind of reevaluated it and thought well I, I didn't even really want to act to begin with that was kind of what my mom wanted me to do so what do I want to do and it was hugely terrifying to to admit that I didn't really want to act anymore that I wanted to try to pursue this entirely new career that even though it's kind of adjacent and in the same world is, was going to take so much work and and have so many mistakes along the way and I, that I you know it'd be just so daunting but after like a couple months of hard processing I decided that I wanted to pursue it and that's what I've been pursuing for the past couple years have you ever thought about like pulling a Jodie Foster and like only working with directors you really want to learn from or like doing a TV show that maybe they'll let like give you a couple episodes of or anything like that? Absolutely. If there's something that, that really creatively spoke to me in the, on the acting front, I would jump at the chance to like work with an exciting director or um, even other exciting actors or something that I felt like I could really, really... And of course, you can always learn and grow from anything. But just like, sure. you know, a big experience like that would be amazing. But what I found with just because of my track record and the, the jobs that I'd done was I, it would just be... I'd get tons of scripts for sitcoms and it's you know I'd already done that for so long and I hate how spoiled it sounds but it's just the truth I just felt like I can't do another like you know I'm falling and I'm spilling the plates and they're oh they're everywhere like I just couldn't do that yeah, yeah. anymore you're still pretty good at that. yeah that's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good but yeah uh, loud and clear it's kind of like saying like I don't want to go back to high school again Ex- right thank you exactly that's totally yeah. exactly what it was people have stress dreams about that yes. I do actually yeah, yeah. Totally, um, totally. Um, well, great. So then tell us about, you've had this epiphany. What's the first step you take towards making the goal of becoming a full-time director a reality? What did you do first? Well, I had been, during the, the Netflix show that I was working on, on our hiatuses, I had been taking spec writing classes and sketch writing classes, and it was definitely something I was pursuing on the side. Where were you taking those classes? Uh, I took spec writing at IOS and uh, sketch writing at UCB. And spec writing is like a writing spec episodes? Epi- yeah, so I did a spec, like a Brooklyn Nine-Nine spec, and a, a Vice Principals, was that the show? Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I didn't... So, People are still doing that, I guess. Well, this was like five years ago. So I don't know if that's still... I don't think that's happening anymore. I think that's well, like, iOS is... Yeah. Is it done? More, is it gone? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know. Yeah, it's such a bummer. I'm so out of touch. Okay. When did it... When when did that happen? Kind of Two years ago, ago, maybe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't hear. Crazy. Yeah. I'm curious because you, again, were like read hundreds of sitcom scripts. Yeah. If that affected your writing in any way. Like, were you writing like setups and punchlines and stuff in your drama scripts well I, I guess you're writing comedy so yeah I was writing comedy so like I did the spec writing uh, class and I was writing comedy that I, I wasn't super passionate about those um types of sh- like I loved them and I thought they were hilarious but I didn't I felt like something didn't quite align with what I wanted to be writing tonally and I hadn't fully been exposed to the kind to the to similar tones to what I wanted to write and then I started seeing shows like Enlightened um or like you know Breaking Bad or something where it's got, where it's just so textured and, and interesting, enlightened specifically, where it's like this comedy, drama, weird, 
uh, tone and and I just like lit up and felt like I had I don't know I just was so passionate and excited about exploring kind of that world and that spoke to me the most so then that's the kind of the stuff that I started writing and I think actually as for like the influence of those sitcom scripts on me I think I felt more turned off by that like I it wasn't like I just fell into you know I didn't I didn't want to write that way I found it very kind of uh, yeah right? yeah because I guess those schools do have like a sort of perspective of like hey you want to be a, a comedy person right? right right and so I guess that you kind of just end up falling into that bucket a little bit because you're just at IO or you're at UCB and like that's and that. Exactly. Right? And the notes that you're given are based on their approaches and their, you know, their school of thought, which makes so much sense. But it definitely wasn't kind of what I wanted to be working on. Right. Had you guys, have you guys taken classes at those places? I took uh, Improv 101 oh. and Sketch 1 and 2 at UCB. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife was in like not a house team, but like did the UCB thing pretty pretty seriously there cool. like years and years ago now. What was your experience? Um, I had a good time. But yeah. I also like, especially at the time, was very comedy focused. Like mm. I worked at Comedy Central yeah. and like... You wore a clown nose. I wore a clown nose all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was volunteering at a hospital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so but so I I had a really nice time. I'm not uh, like naturally a performer necessarily. So is that uh, why you took the 101 class? Yeah, okay. yeah. I just kind of was like more curious, and I think there's a lot of theory to UCB in particular mm-hmm. that I really liked. Like I sometimes over intellectualize things, so like that felt really good to me in a mm. way that like I think Groundlings is more character based and like a little more um, uh, actor oriented. I would say mm. so like like game and that theory that idea of like how you heighten and all that stuff really appealed to me it's more like writer-based comedy yeah, you think? Exactly, yeah yeah for sure exactly yeah yeah my friend dave who listens to this podcast he took like a night um a late night show joke right or monologue writing class i remember seeing that on the like did yeah. you know that's a thing <laughs> yeah yeah at ios or uh, at, i don't remember where I he think, took it i think so I think right it's there, yeah, yeah. yeah but it was like i was like oh there's like a way that to construct those jokes and it's Right. Yeah, I'm like Matt. I like love figuring out like the formula for yeah. writing, so that I don't have to be creative. Um, <laughs> but you haven't you haven't taken any classes there? No, I took some writing classes at Santa Monica College when I moved mm. to LA a very long time ago. But no, I've always like wanted to. My yeah. wife, my wife went through Groundlings, and okay. she has a show at UCB, like a monthly show. So oh, cool. I'm exposed to it a lot, uh, yeah. and I am like super impressed by like the sketch writing especially out of UCB and sure. I directed some like sketches with UCB people but oh yeah I I would like if I had a podcast and people asked me for my advice on like what to do as yeah. a director I yeah. would tell them they should definitely take writing classes yeah those places but I personally have not really ever done it <laughs> well it's yeah. also nice to have a place to hang out right yeah totally totally so let me ask actually because uh, you know I have a friend who worked in kids tv for a long time and he'd always tell me like oh like I have to schedule like the prom for everybody, right? And like kind of all of like he had to, he had a lot of things where he was building in social experiences for the young actors because they didn't get to go to high school or whatever. How um, after you kind of emerged from that whole machine, how did you did you find community or like what? How did you kind of like? It's almost like you moved to LA for the first time. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. I mean, I definitely had some friends, uh, some crew member friends who kind of stayed my friends. They're you know 
quite a bit of an age gap, but you know, what, if sure, a friend yeah. is a friend type yeah, thing. Sure. And and I definitely I didn't feel a lot of people I feel like have have you know oh I missed I missed my prom or I missed you know having that first high school boyfriend or something. But I didn't I really didn't feel that at all. Um, I felt a little bit of like longing for a childhood once I got to maybe 20 but it was my younger years there was never like a romanticized high school time it was just like oh I grew up really fast oh I was around adults when I was seven that's kind of strange right but yeah that definitely for the teenage years take take or leave those sure fair (laughs) enough um so tell me what you did then after those first classes Uh, like let's go to like what tell us about the first time you got behind a camera and started really like directing something you were excited for. Yeah. So I wrote this thing called uh, The McCurdies. It had started out as a feature and then I stopped the feature midway through and rewrote it as a pilot. Um, And it's just sort of a dramedy based on my experiences as a kid actor being raised in a dysfunctional Mormon family with a mom who was dying of cancer. Very much autobiographical in so many ways. And I, I felt like I needed to write something that was that specific and that honest to me and that vulnerable in order to be able to direct it. I felt like that would be the only way that I could connect to directing right off the bat without feeling like I had to fill some new like director role or, you know, in in some sort of inauthentic way or something. Um, So I wrote this thing and I sent it to my managers at the time. And And these are your acting managers. These are my acting managers. Yeah. And they were very supportive of of my writing and everything and, and had really been great about encouraging that and endorsing that. And they they wanted me to go around and pitch it and I felt like I couldn't I knew I felt like I just had to make it on my own I just it had to be from me from my bones I had to like bleed and sweat for this thing um so I told them like I'm, I'm just gonna make it I'm gonna make it and in four weeks uh, and in so during those four weeks it was all pre-production and taking meetings with department heads and assembling the crew and then I shot it four weeks later and, and had, it's a single camera dramedy. Yeah, single camera dramedy and had an amazing experience shooting it. What like, I mean, untouchable. Just I couldn't believe the way that things came together. And are you hiring like DPs that have shot like a million TV shows or someone that's just out of film school or like friends of yours or like this is a, a Zane Rubin crew? This was it. Yeah, Zane was super helpful. Um, Zane and I were friends already at the time and she she was so so tremendously helpful through that entire process and in casting sessions with me and helping me make casting choices and it was just amazing but um the dp was somebody who he had done a lot of commercial work and a lot of branded work and some narrative work um but he was super experienced uh, I, I definitely felt like everybody needed to be more experienced than me uh, otherwise it wouldn't <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I didn't want to be captaining the thing without you know with the... which is a funny thing to say for a person who's been on a um, hundred plus episodes of television this is, yeah true <laughs> for sure for sure well do you i mean i'm always curious because like my wife she's like in a lot of commercials and i'm like hey what what camera did they shoot on she's like i have no idea i'm like weren't you standing right next to <laughs> looking at the camera all day she's like yeah i don't know there was like this thing on top and she like, acts <laughs> yeah oh cool um yeah. so now she knows she's like oh they had like a fly swatter on set like you would like this or she'll just send me like little pictures of e- uh-huh. equipment she's like this they're hanging someone from a harness here because i think now because i ask her i grill her on it she yeah. like really pays she, attention yeah. to how the sausage is made. Did she like, and she did, so she just didn't have an interest in that prior to meeting you, or was it in like what cameras are yeah, being yeah, used yeah. and stuff? Yeah, I mean, I still think she doesn't care, but she, hmm. just, she, she just she knows I'm going to ask she, her. It's just handy to have an answer now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And are you, you? I'm assuming you guys are both super tech savvy. You know all the. Orin is more than me, I would say, but I I like yeah, cameras. I mean, we're we're about the same. It's not like I want to 
like I care about the specs or like what resolution sure. or everything. I'm just curious, like, oh, if David Fincher is shooting a car driving down Hollywood Boulevard, mm-hmm. like at 100 miles per hour, like what are the things that are required to to get that done? Because mm-hmm. if I want to do that, can I do it for $10,000 or do I need like a million dollars? You know, to me it's like, and even when I, I've shadowed like on set before, I'll, I'll talk to like the gaffer i'll be like what light is that like how much does that cost like how much electricity does that do i need house power or do i need a generator like yeah 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 because i'm always thinking how you know knowing if i'm working on a ten thousand dollar budget or a million dollar budget like what can i get done yeah totally you know? there's like a producer mindset to it a little bit for sure yeah so like, like that that stuff certainly i think we're both kind of yeah even awesome. as a boom when yeah. i used to boom up on like student films i'd just be so fascinated by the the gear you wow. know, and how and not just the gear also what's the director saying to the actors and yeah yeah, yeah it's just yeah. like such a learning experience which yeah. is what we tell all our listeners is like be on set and yeah so yeah. you were on set Living. so much yeah but you were probably it was just like kind of on the edges yeah I, I mean when I was young I do remember like I definitely asked a lot of questions I remember the first time I was able to like sit in the in a seat behind a camera I was 11 and, or maybe 12 and I was on it was Law and Order SVU and the DP um I was asking him a lot of questions. So he was like, well, come sit and, you know, let me show you on one. And he took his whole lunch break to sit there and yeah, teach cool. me about it. And like, ah, oh, it warms my heart. So I definitely had, had, you know, great loving crews around me that were, that were very helpful in that way. But I think just because of so many years on a sitcom that kind of faded to the back burner and it, you know, it's just these big four cameras plopped in front of you. And yeah, it's, you're just you know, kind of like worried yeah. about other stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. yeah. So what happened to the McCurdy's? What, what was the next step? I did not release it. I didn't, I, I've, the most that I've done with it is released a one minute clip to my Instagram. I haven't figured out what to do with the project or where it lies. It is, it's so personal, obviously, by the time I went through, like, so the four days of shooting it were, were amazing. And then by the time it goes through editing and you realize that whole process and what it's like to see what you actually have versus what you thought you had and those, all those emotional ups and downs, um, it definitely took a lot out of me. It was, it was, you know, hugely draining and emotional and um were you like screening it for people and getting notes i didn't screen i sent it to a few people and got some notes from them but nothing no i didn't didn't do it in in any sort of a big way um but uh then it took a, a minute to get back on the horse emotionally and once i did that then i i started developing the next couple shorts that i made over that summer do you think that you'll ultimately release it or do you think that's just kind of something you want to keep private I'm not sure because I think there's a lot of great stuff in it and I I would like to do something with it at some point but I don't know what that is yet and and I'm you know at this point I shot it I guess two over two and a half years ago I shot it and I don't you know obviously I'm not rushing it but I don't know I don't want to just put something out to put it out and I don't think I don't know where it lives either I don't think you know it's too long and it's a pilot so it doesn't make sense to do something like try to go a short of the week route or do a festival route um so it's it's kind of it's a confusing project well there are there are nowadays I think a lot of festivals even Sundance and stuff that take pilots um, I've heard I, I've kind of wondered about that do that you like could it? Be an interest- I do I I I should say I like aspects of it I think there are aspects of it that are great I think it's really well acted um I think there's one the the, the a story I think is really strong and I think I think I threw in too many side stories and, and those became a little muddled but I've been thinking of trying to get somebody to re-edit it 
and work backward from what we have to what I think is the strongest kind of angle to take for it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also interesting to just think through, like, it's so ambitious and so big and so personal, but also, you know, so many people, like, have a handful of, like, short films under their belt before they actually release something. Sure, totally, totally. Would you just, it's almost like film school in, like, a really healthy way, you know? That's exactly how I viewed it. I thought, like, well, I didn't go to film school. I That would have been the the route I would have wanted to take if I'd gone to college. So I can just kind of chalk this up to, like, a learning experience and I'm definitely not opposed to that and I had a couple other shorts that I view the same exact way where it's like well I had to do that in order to know that I don't like that at all um but I still I just have such a special place in my heart for it versus a couple other shorts that I made where I was just like well that is trash (laughs) and no one will ever see this well do you think I mean Jeanette is in this unique (laughs) position where like if we made crappy shorts and put them out like no one would (laughs) really care care. yeah but people do you feel like you're a little more careful about what you show to the world because there's definitely an element of that are quick to judge for sure for sure they want to judge absolutely absolutely i think i think they're definitely you got to be a little maybe i think i have to be a little more cautious than i would be um and i think that's good i think especially nowadays with how you know with how easy it is to put stuff out there and it seems like there's just this constant kind of chase or like just putting just output is rewarded but i think it's kind of like restraint um it should be more valued right now than anything. Yeah, it's funny because I think, have you ever heard of one a day? It's like people, they'll say like, I want to learn Photoshop or photography yeah. or um, songwriting or whatever. Yeah. modeling or whatever. Um, and so I'm just going to do one hour a day. I'm just going to do whatever I can do. And then I'm just going to put it online, like on an Instagram channel. Or, hmm. And so you pe- people get so much better <laughs> at it's whatever crazy. they're doing. Sure. It's and crazy. Part of the reason I think they get better is because they're showing people their stuff. Uh, like I think in film, mm. it, for That's me personally, like showing people stuff, I've made so much stuff that I hated and then I show people and they're like, oh, it's pretty good. Or yeah, yeah, I yeah. get like some of my most viewed things and like my best regarded work is the stuff that I hated and some of the stuff that I really loved and put my heart and soul into people are like, yeah. Yeah, the TV stuff, I you know, I go back and forth, right? Because I think you were making the point before of like, you saw Breaking Bad and all of those other awesome shows, Enlightened and stuff. And it's like, oh, that's what got you really excited, you know? And I think that that style of storytelling is what excites me as well. Um, and that used to be indie film, right? And now that's TV. Mm-hmm. But there's still a little part of me that's like... Go to a movie. Go to a, like a little indie, hmm. even though like TV is where all the work yeah. is and where that work is being seen. So, did the movie was the movie kind of idea tugging at you, or the idea of like wanting to make a movie? Yeah, was well, this yesterday or was this ongoing in yeah, general? Yeah. Actually, because like it wasn't uh, like a revelation of like yeah. Okay, you can be a little more self guided in that way. I yeah. can be like, oh, I'm going to go out and fundraise. I'll right. put together the stuff. Sure, I'll get the thing. We'll go make the movie. And you can mm-hmm. also yeah. take risks that you could never take in TV. I think, unless yeah. you were very mm. well established, right? Like you could make a movie that's all in reverse or silent mm. or mm-hmm. whatever, black and white. Like, mm. you know, there's just, there aren't a million people making every decision. Mm-hmm. Have you pitched TV before? Um, no, uh, actually I did. Yes. A uh, few years back, pitched a digital series and um, sold it, which is exciting. And then I wasn't passionate about it. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, this was kind of right as I was deciding that I wanted to write and direct my own stuff. And there was this opportunity to work with some people, um, but it, it wasn't my own um, idea. I didn't, didn't have a huge personal connection to it. I thought the, the concept was interesting, and I'd be curious to watch something like it. But um, but then throughout that pitch process, it was the same time when I was writing McCurdy's. Mm-hmm. And, um, right, so you've got your passion project, exactly. and you keep looking at that. And yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And it's just kind of, I think, when you're doing working on that passion project then it's just like you feel yourself kind of getting further and further away from that other path and that's kind of what happened and so would you direct something that someone else wrote uh i'd have to be so connected to it i think it'd be it'd be pretty tough to to have the amount of vision required if it if that vision wasn't yours what do you guys feel i mean we direct for hire all the time and you but and you love it most of the time. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, 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 totally, totally, totally. I think uh, I think we both are pretty good at like falling in love with something sure. or, or convincing yourself. You sure, know, yeah. And like, I think the heartbreak f- for me at least is on the other side when it like mm. doesn't turn out because some people decided to do things the way that I didn't want to do, or mm-hmm. or I made a, the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. You know, like at the beginning, it's all potential, so it's so easy to fall mm. in love with that idea, mm-hmm. and then you know sometimes you don't love the result so what what do you do both of you have like a some sort of passion project that's the thing that you're just like oh my god if i could make this well it's that show i just pitched okay yeah yeah oh yeah okay heavy stuff yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah wow yeah yeah i mean i have a bunch of things i'm passionate about but I, i guess like matt like my favorite part of filmmaking i used to be an engineer that's oh, probably maybe why I'm like kind of technical. But I what I didn't like about engineering is like I just like worked with the same five people and I spent most of my time like interacting with a computer. Mm-hmm. And what I like about filmmaking is I spend most of my time also interacting with a computer, unfortunately. <laughs> but, but the fun parts are like when I'm interacting with people and meeting new people. And I love it when someone walks in and it's like, hey, I had this idea. Yeah. It's a guy that doesn't sleep and he leads two lives, you know, one yeah, day, yeah. day. Like, what well, what can we do with that? And then just like riffing on it. Like I like yeah riffing and brainstorming and then like oh and this is kind of like a metaphor for what's going on in the world mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. it's less about like telling my story and more about like finding a way that i can connect with something that because again to me like film as a medium it's so expensive to make things and it yeah. takes so long that sure. it's like i don't want to make things for me i want to make things for an audience i want to find something that i connect with that hopefully other people connect with yeah. as well um so yeah so another words i have a lot of things i'm super passionate about but almost every project of mine i have one that's like about my brothers and me that's kind of like this superhero story but aside from that everything i have like a partner i have a friend or i'm teaming up with people you know to get each other excited about projects yeah but the brother thing you're writing alone yeah i mean i've started writing it like 10 years ago (laughs) you know but anytime someone's like hey want to have lunch i'll be like yep (laughs) (laughs) i got nothing on the calendar for sure yeah um and that's what's nice about you know, paying jobs is like a real yeah. excuse to hit deadlines and do all that stuff. Sure. Uh, what about you? What's next? What's like, what, what's next in the short term? Uh, I'm actually writing a play. Oh. Yeah. So totally, I, I, I'm super passionate about reading plays and I love that all the information has to come out in dialogue. I think that's a nice challenge and that the characters have to be so clear. I'm the, my most favorite part about any TV show or film is the characters. Like 100% of the time, if the characters are great and, and really um, well fleshed and well fleshed out and have really interesting arcs, then that's the thing that I find I get most interested to watch. Even if the story's relatively small or what have you. Um, so I started reading a lot of plays and then I thought, I think I wanted to take a 
to try writing one. And I've been writing one for, I guess, a month and a half. And I just finished a second-ish draft, and it has a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Are you allowed to tell us what it's about, or do you, um, would you prefer It nothing? deals with addiction. The overall kind of question posed is, like, why do we take some addictions more seriously than others? Um, right, this... like coffee, right? No one is worried about this, but <laughs> chug, I can't chug, stop. Chug, chug, chug. Uh, it's this middle-aged woman who has a shopping addiction, and I think shopping is oftentimes, like, really glamorized, uh-huh. and you sure. know, we see this, like, hot kind of 20 something with like bags over her shoulders and she's just yeah you know, whatever but i think it, it it's a lot deeper than that and it, it can affect families in a really sad way and i think it's a lot sadder than we see and yeah, so i wanted sure. to show if something's sadder or funnier than i feel like it's generally seen that i'm like uh, i love that drawn to it yeah yeah, yeah yeah right does your character just i'm curious about the mechanics is it like a home shopping thing or like what's your home set? She, the home set, so she's a shopaholic slash, there's a difference between shopaholics and hoarders. I did a lot of research on this and also my mom was a hoarder growing up. So there, I kind of knew some sure. a bit more about hoarders. Yeah. Um, there's a different level of attachment. Like if a hoarder tries to throw something away, it's like soul crushing. Um, shopaholics don't have that same emotional attachment necessarily, but she hasn't gotten rid of any of her stuff. So she has a very much hoarder-esque looking house for the first act of the of the play. And she's definitely like just an online, not like a home shopping network, but just online Amazon constantly coming to her house type shopper. Very compulsive. Have you seen Queen of Versailles? No. Oh, you must watch it. I will. It's yeah. a Netflix documentary. I will. There's a scene where this mom takes her kids shopping to Walmart with like their seven maids or, or like nannies and they buy she buys a new bike for every kid and then they bring them all back home and they put them in the basement and they're all next to like like 30 other Pre-bit. bikes yeah, that yeah, ne- yeah, they've yeah, never yeah. ridden yep, before yep yeah totally um, wow but it's a documentary so cool I'll check um, it out yeah that's cool so what about you like where like where do you see your career going it sounds to me just from this interview that yeah you're a little more focused on like kind of storytelling your story and it sounds like less focused about like directing that cool car chase scene or you, you know yeah uh, definitely I, I mean I feel like for everything that I write so far I've, I have to have some sort of personal investment like you know even for this for it, it became this shopaholic woman but initially it was a hoarder because of my experience with my mom um and that I think that level of attachment is necessary for me to stay invested past the point of passion because the passion's inevitably going to fade at some point and then the work the pile of work's going to sit in front of you and it's going to be daunting and you're going to have a breakdown and then you're going to face it again and I think in order to kind of get over that hump of the breakdown there has to be something that's just like well I have something in me is just pulling me to tell this story I have to tell it um so I, I assume there will always be some sort of personal attachment which makes so much sense though right because that's kind of it reflects the experience you had on the show totally. right like you were into it for a little bit and then you you didn't like it anymore but you still had that pile of work in front of you exactly right? yeah totally so interesting yeah, yeah. Um, I, had, I had one last question yeah in the beginning of the interview you talked about just like your experience working with other directors as a as an actor what are can you give us like a few words of advice if our listeners are new directors about like and had some do's and don'ts with actors or some things that they might not realize. How fun. So definitely my favorite aspect of directing and 
I believe the most important part is connecting with actors. I'm like hugely, if the performance isn't there, I don't care what the shot looks like. It doesn't matter if the performance is not in place. So knowing, taking the time to know a little bit about your actors and their mindsets, how they are approaching their process for this um, and letting them have some, letting them have some input. Yeah, letting letting it be a conversation, but being very careful with that because it, it has to be your vision. I feel like if you have a vision and you give actors too much freedom, then it just can go haywire and, and they can just get lost in, you want your vision to be executed. Um, so making sure that, that all the actors are on the same page for what you want, but that you're communicating with each of them specifically to what communication style works best for them. And then what about any don'ts, like, you know, line readings, things like that, like assuming... Yeah, I don't Thanks. do I don't do line readings. Uh, although I think I did one on the last thing I made, and I thought about that for days. Um, <laughs> but I typically try not to. But uh, when you were an actor, did that bother you? If I didn't like the line reading, <laughs> it right. depended on whether I liked it or not. There, like there were some directors where oh, this is a huge oh my god, this is the hugest don't don't be fucking abstract and try and show off what a great director you are by giving some vague direction as an actor the worst thing to me would would be when a director would come over and, and like give me you know this long-winded story like this flowery kind of th- i'd be like sad mad upset like what do you want just give me just a, the ba- the most basic adjective you can possibly give me and i'll do that um and i know some actors would hate that but that was just i was very much like just give it to me straight i don't want this to be this long thing right do you know who judith weston is she wrote this book called what's the her first book directing actors oh i feel like i i feel like the artist's way mentions that book or something oh <laughs> yeah could be she's like the most kind of classic like from my point of view at least yeah person that writes about how directors that aren't actors should direct actors I don't know if she came up with this, but I think she spread the idea of like action oriented as opposed to result oriented direction. Uh, and I think a lot of directors mm. like have taken her classes or read her books or know about this idea that like instead of saying like you should be uh, mad, yeah. they'd say like, you know, like, like take your anger out. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. basically verbs instead of adjectives. Kind so you of, have an objective. Right? Yeah. 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 Giving yeah. people motivation. Right. Like that. For sure. Thing. For sure. Um, and so, but it's funny because a lot of TV actors, I think, are really good at like just mad, happy, faster, yeah, 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 louder. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, you know, there's a thing where you you become director proof, right? Yeah. You're like, okay, I, I see what your flowery story. I get what you're trying to say. Totally. I know how to process that and do what you're asking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And I wish that that gap wasn't there. I wish that it could just be, you know, mm-hmm. as cut to the chase. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. But I get that. I mean, some some actors absolutely hate that. And again, I think it's so important that it's like knowing your actors and knowing what they respond to. There was one actress that I worked with who was fantastic, but um, my style was just it. It took a day, and we wound up reshoot. I was like, I don't think I have the scenes, so we wound up squeezing that scene into a separate day, just because I think I wasn't communicating with her the way that she understood and processed, and I think it was causing some tension. Um, and I. You know, I learned that lesson, sure. and I'm sure yeah. I'll learn it many more times. <laughs> yeah, I worked with this actor that was kind of famous, and yeah. uh, the people, the agency people, it's very commercial, kept saying, like, have him smile bigger. Like, we want a bigger smile. And I, 
Mm. I'm like, I'm not going to tell him to give me a bigger smile. So mm-hmm. I'll be like, hey, let's do it. Like, you're super pumped. You're excited. Like, yeah. let's just go go bigger and broader on it. Yeah. And he's like, okay. And he like, and they're like, no, no, more teeth. We need more teeth. And like, I just tried like 10 different things. And I was like, can you just give me a way bigger smile? And he's like, <laughs> like, I'm smiling. This is how I smile. I was like, just go over the top. And he did. They're like, perfect. But like <laughs> him and I both hated it. But, you know, I don't know. Sometimes... Interesting. It's like you just got to tell them exactly what you're trying to get as opposed to how to get it. I'm curious if you guys feel this ever. Sometimes with, I've, I notice this more with, with women than, um, than with men, but good, getting into like the, the nuance of the dynamic of a scene, I can really, sometimes the best way to communicate that with women is to go really into it. Whereas with men, it's just to be a little more like direct about it. Um, meaning like if there's if there's a scene, say there's like a difficult mother in a scene and being like, well, you're upset because yesterday he didn't uh, do your laundry, which you would ask him to do twice. So then this first line you're saying at him because you want him to know that he should be doing the laundry. But when he doesn't realize it on his second line, then you need to really drive it home for your next line. But then you're upset because he didn't pick up on your first thing. So then you're upset at the first like. And they'll be like, got it, cool. But if I were to do that with a guy, they'd be like, what? <laughs> like, I wonder. I don't know. I, I think your I think your initial advice of just like understanding like their worldview or yeah, their, yeah, yeah. their 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 approach, I guess, is really the better way to say it. Yeah. I think is is right. You yeah. know what I mean? Because I can I can think of plenty of actors. Maybe men are a little bit more direct sometimes. Yeah. But I think it maybe is like where you trained. Mm, you know what I mean? For sure. Like for what sure. school yeah. you're out of. Totally. Right? I also, when I started, I would use a lot of words. I'd do that. I'd be like on the first line. And then, you know, on page seven, you know, when yeah. you say that thing, what if you try like this? And I realized like, I'd see the actors be like, okay. <laughs> um, and then I realized like, even a direction like that, I'd yeah, probably yeah. be like, you've told them this a million times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like just have that yeah. in the back of yeah, 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 before yeah. you start. Yeah, exactly. Um, and tr- I just try to get it like. As small and as then clean as possible. Yeah, totally. And then hopefully we can we can hit little beats or something. Yeah, later. totally. I, th- I think maybe it's also like a building the performance a little bit, right? Yeah, like, totally. I think the way you directed it, where it was like, oh, okay, like you're breaking down the different colors of each line. Yeah, I think it's hard to jump in on that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know. But mm-hmm. like after, it's like, okay, you've told them a bunch of times. Then you can be like, I want to see a you little. Got your wides. You yeah, got yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. It's weird because as a director, I've had like tone meetings with writers or producers and stuff. Yeah. And they're like, and then on this line, we we're thinking this. And then here, this. Is, and I'm like thinking in my head, there's no way I'm going to tell the actor all these things, you know? Yeah. yeah. Overwhelming. Yeah. So yeah, totally. I'm, I try to, I have to sometimes interpret from them, like, what's the overall idea here for yeah. this? Yeah. And where, is, where does it turn? I mean, I, the more I do it, the less I talk. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, 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 like, yeah. Okay, yeah. Let's do it again faster. Yeah. I have one other thought on on directing actors. I feel like don't undermine the actors. I think it goes back to my experience from being a kid and feeling like again you're physically touched by every department. Everybody's in your business and yet you can feel it's really easy to feel disregarded. It's really easy to feel like just, you know, you're you have to land on your mark and start spewing your lines and it's just like robotic. And I think you know, actors are very intuitive, sensitive people, and they're picking up on everything, mm-hmm. even that you don't think they're picking up on. When when you whisper a note to the DP, they see you doing it. So just like making them as much a part of the process as possible, I think is yeah. nice. It's so funny because I feel like so often I'll say something like, okay, we'll do one for you. Like yeah. I see the way you want to do it. Yes. And then we'll do one for me. And I feel like oftentimes actors are like, 
nah, I know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know this trick. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> but totally. I always mean it. It's totally. the thing. Like, yeah. I'm happy to be wrong. Like, yeah. If that's the right way to do it, awesome. Like, mm-hmm. no one knows what take it, like, we decided on until you see the final piece. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, Have you guys ever had an actor say, like, no, I'm not going to do it that way? Yes. Yeah. Often? <laughs> Most times. No, but I'll never forget like, it. Why do my I'll pants need to be on? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'll tell you off mic. Cool. I'm excited. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, but I do, I can, I feel like I have a pretty good barometer of if an actor doesn't like the take. And a lot of times I'll be like, well, I thought that was great. Everyone was cracking up or whatever, but I feel like, do you, did you not like that? And they're like, well, I don't know. I just felt like I wasn't in it or that seemed a little off or I'll be like, well, do you want to try something else? Because we're always just behind schedule a hundred percent of the time. So yeah. I'm always just like pushing to move forward. But right. if I sense right. to me, if the actor is feeling uncomfortable, that then that's like the most important thing we need to fix before we move on. Yeah, yeah I, I I feel like I'll, early on I'll tell an actor this, but I also stand by it. Like doing another take is the easiest part, right? Like we're already set up. Mm-hmm. Like that's like doing fewer takes doesn't really help your day that much. Mm-hmm. Like cutting setups does, right? Mm-hmm. And so I never want to like spend a bunch of time debating whether or not we got it. If we didn't get it, pictures up. Let's roll it again. Let's just do it. So like if an actor is like, I need one more. I'm like, okay, back to one. That's so nice. And that's like, because one more take is going to cost you 30 seconds. Right, 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 right. you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, Jeanette, this was great. This is so fun. Yeah. Yeah, Thank thank you guys for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming here. Um, Can you stick around and endorse with us? Oh, yes. Unpaid endorsements. So my endorsement is I just took a big trip, Orna and I both just took big trips, and we brought a guidebook with us. We specifically Rick Steves, Italy, which was great. Which is like for old people, right? Old people do love it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like he had a PBS show. Because there is a guidebook for people that like just graduated college and they're going to Europe for the summer, right? Yes. Like let's go Europe. Yeah, I think I'm sure there's like stuff that's like a little bit more themed. The thing that I love about having a guidebook is, A, you're not using your data, right? So, like, if you're on an international plan or, like, you're roaming or whatever, it's it doesn't... Wait, is this a, a physical book? I'm saying I'm recommending having a physical book when you take a trip. That is what my actual endorsement is because it's never going to run out of batteries. And also, so often we would be like, I don't know where to park. Or like, how do street signs work? Or, or things that are a little harder to Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that can incite like anxiety in people. Especially you know in you? other countries. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like in Florence, there's like certain streets where only certain people are allowed to drive. Yeah, yeah. And if you, you get caught on that street driving your rental car, they'll you get a give big you a ticket. Fine. Yeah. yeah, you get a like a couple hundred euro fine, and the sign is a circle. <laughs> With a red line. Right. So you don't know, like, does that mean I'm allowed to drive there or not? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, you just are kind of following people's leads. But if you have the guidebook, like, you're not, like, spending time on your phone being, like, Googling, like, circle red meaning (laughs) Florence, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when we were in Italy, we saw, I kept seeing these signs. There were city names with a red line through them. And I was like, what does this mean? Is this how they write city names? It looks like a city is going to be destroyed here or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then I realized probably six days in that it means you're leaving the city. So most good guidebooks will have Mm -hmm. like a traffic sign section, for instance, or like I said, recommendations on where to park, you know, just like little hints and tips of like, this is a good place to get like exchange currency. And all of that stuff is available online for sure. 
But to have something reliable that like you kind of leafed through on the train a little bit here and there just made our trip so much better than if I just had my phone. And so you downloaded like audio guides too, We right? did download audio guides. That's specific to Rick Steves. But those were like like little, like two, he was a, a tour guide for like every church that we went to. He'd explain like, you know, when this thing was made or like why it's important or interesting. And, and you just really listen well. on your phone? Mm-hmm. So my wife has the, the AirPods. Mm-hmm. And so we would each put one in so we could hear each other or hear the, the guide in real time. And the range on those is really great. So, wow. yeah. So <laughs> having an actual physical guidebook is my endorsement. Right. Great. My endorsement is don't have a guidebook. <laughs> <laughs> weighs so much. Um, but, uh, but I will double down on the AirPods. I just got them literally oh. the day before, the day we flew to oh, uh, wow. out of town. You know, they're really expensive. Yeah. I think they're like 175 bucks or something Jeez. for headphones. Does that sound right? I think they're a little low. Oh, 150? Know. Yeah, something like that. It's like just it's a, a ridiculous of amount of money. For a thing that I feel like I will lose. That comes for free <laughs> with your phone. It just doesn't have a wire. Yeah. But they're really awesome. And everyone I know that has them is like, I can't even like hold my phone up to my face anymore. Because they're so convenient. And I like listen to podcasts. So the biggest thing is... Wow. I'm, as freelancers, a lot of us, are, you know, people that just have weird schedules, a yeah. lot of times we're like walking and having lunch somewhere by ourselves, right? Yeah. And, you know, you're trying to listen to a podcast or t- talk to someone, but you're trying to eat and then like your food keeps getting on that <laughs> wire that's mm-hmm. attached to your earbuds. With the AirPods, you can eat while you're listening to something because there's no wire. You Fantastic. never have a moment alone with yeah. your thought, thoughts ever again. So I love the AirPods. Yeah, we never have that. to never have to work out my plot holes. I just listen to three guys that used to work for Obama talk about politics. But uh, the other thing I was going to endorse is, again, something that I think 98% of our listeners know about. But this is for you two percenters that don't know about it. Um, so on the iPhone, you know, no matter what you install or how you use it, like it ha- it's logging all your steps for the day um there's the health app mm-hmm. right and uh and i kind of knew about it when we first got it but i just forgot about it until we were in italy again and we were like comparing we're like oh i did like thirty-two thousand steps today or something yeah, yeah. and because i work from home a lot like now i've kind of just made it my new thing just making sure i get ten thousand steps every day and it's just so easy to check because i have this iphone thing so if you have an iphone and you don't know about it just look at your health app and it has been logging your steps without you even knowing it um, for the past kind of creepy. many years, 10 yeah. years. A little weird. Um, I will endorse, I just watched Jackie Brown for the first time. Ooh. Oh, fun. And yeah. I You're love it. You're the second person that told me that. Really? Yeah. Wow. And they told me that that's the, his last good movie. It's my favorite Quentin Tarantino film. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm an Inglorious Bastards fan. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen Inglorious yeah. Bastards. I mean, oh, it's great. It's, it's not bad either. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Reservoir Dogs is, is not bad. <laughs> I really liked Reservoir Dogs, but um, I love Jackie Brown. I Robert Forrester was so charming. Um, wow. And then this play, The Waverly Gallery by Kenneth Lonergan. And mm. um, it's about on. Have you read it? No, but he wrote um, Manchester yeah. by yeah. the Sea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, um, um, did they put it up recently? I don't think recently. Um, there was another one of his plays. Uh, this is our youth, I think, was yeah, which I saw actually. Oh, how yeah, was yeah. that? Awesome. Did you see it with? Was it Michael Sarah and? I saw it with Michael Sarah <gasps> and Tavi Gavinson and uh, the Culkin, the best Culkin, Rory Culkin. I don't know. Kieran. Macaulay. Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> Macaulay. Macaulay Culkin. Culkin. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, and it was really good. 
Yeah, oh, super wow. Good. Yeah. That would be so fun to yeah. see. But I think they've done a couple, I think, with a few of those cast members, actually. Wow. I think, like, Michael Sarah and Kenneth Lonergan work together. I and think. Lucas Hedges? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dear yeah. God. To see him. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That'd be amazing. He is in one of the movies that we're judging. Oh, oh no, no, no. He's not really? in one of the movies. He's oh. in mid-90s. Have you guys seen that movie? No. It's Jonah Hill's movie. How yeah. was it? I saw it on the airplane. I I really liked it. I oh, had like fun. zero expectations. It's shot in four by three. Was yeah. was there a lot of like ninety? Was there like third eye blind music or like what was the music? I was curious how that would work. You know, it's not really about the music. It doesn't. What I one of the things I like about it is it's not like a gratuitous nineties references reference. Right, movie. right, right. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah, about yeah. a specific slice. It feels kind of Orange County ish. Yeah. It's about just this kid. His older brother is Lucas Hedges, who's like this jerk. He has a single mom. Yeah. And he doesn't have like a lot of friends. And he goes to the skate shop and basically becomes friends with all these older kids. Mm. And they teach him how to be like a bad kid. Drink and smoke and all that stuff and party. But it's just like really downplayed. And the, all the performances. Lucas Hedges is like the only person I recognize in the movie. But uh, it's, it's really great. There's really good skating in it. And, mm. um, anyway. Sneak, snuck another endorsement <laughs> in there. Thank you, man. Well, Jeanette, this has been such a treat. Uh, where can our listeners learn more about you? Do you tweet? Do you Instagram? What's the deal? I don't really tweet, um, and I Instagram very rarely. But my website is JeanetteMcCurdy.com, and I usually keep that pretty updated. Do you put, like, your films on there? And I put like links that? to the, the films that I have released, and then, yeah, just any any new fun stuff that I'm working on, and I also have a section of just stuff that I've been reading, listening to, watching. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, you know what I do if, like, I make a short, which I haven't for a while, but, or something that I'm like, this is 80% good, but there's some things I don't like about it, hmm. just put stills. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, Take yeah. my favorite there stills and put them online. Love that. Online. <laughs> yeah. Put, like, a release coming soon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Awesome. Well, you can learn uh, more about the show and all the things that we talked about at JustShootItPod.com. And we're across all social media at JustShootItPod. I'm at Mr. Matt Enlo. And I'm at O. Kaplan on Instagram. And this episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our producer is Madeline Rosewatt, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.